Good morning. We working? Brilliant. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start off with a quick question. Raise your hands if you have social media. Like Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, oh, quite a few, brilliant. Now, when we have social media, we usually put great photos and statuses of our great lives, don't we? But if we were to look at the photos or the statuses that you've put on your social media, would that be an accurate picture of your life? Probably not. Now, we're gonna, the youth have sent in some photos, so we're going to have a little look at some of the photos that they've sent in. So this one, this is Grace. So Grace sent in this beautiful shot. So this is something you'd put on social media, isn't it? That'd be a great Instagram photo, get lots of likes. <laughs> but is that the reality? Is that what it looked like? Nah, it's just, a, it's just a post. It's just a post. What about the next one? See, yeah, this is something... <laughs> yeah, see, this is something we'd see on social media, you know, healthy eating, working out. Is that the reality? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Brilliant. What about the next one? Ah, uh, yes. So this is from the tenants. So a lovely little Valentine's Day meal, I'm told, with Sam there. But yeah, it didn't quite go to plan because Georgie had COVID. <laughs> so it doesn't quite give the accurate picture of the situation, does it? And how about the next one? Yeah, another one from them. Lovely Christmas photo, all smiles. Yeah, I don't think they were happy. <laughs> In fact, I'm told that it was a continuous argument. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Chilling in the hot tub. <laughs> but yeah, but did that photo show when Jack nearly drowned? <laughs> no, and just to say, Jack's fine. <laughs> You've already seen him this morning. But that's the thing about social media, is that we only share the good things. We don't really tend to share the bad things even just the ordinary things of our lives, when we're like surrounded by washing up or laundry. So, but on social media, we might, you know, other people might share things like that they've got this incredible new job, they've got a new car, they've got um, a marriage with no arguments, and these incredible children that never misbehave. <laughs> and we start to see that, and then we wish we could have that new car, or we could have that new job, or we could just have that perfect family, or that perfect marriage. And we start to compare our lives to what we see on social media. But social media is just a snapshot. It's just a highlight reel. And in life, is not like that. So actually, that new job that they've just shared, it might be really stressful. Or that new car, they don't tell you about the fact that they've got that because they're in a car accident. Or that, you know, that marriage, that perfect marriage, they share a lovely photo of date night, but it doesn't show the argument they had 10 minutes before they left the door. <laughs> And like that family, lovely family photo of the kids all smiling, that doesn't show the argument like we saw that happened like 10 minutes before. The reality is that no one's life is perfect. We have troubles and we have issues. But we just have this tendency to share the good things in our lives rather than the bad things. And I don't want you to think that I hate social media because I do run the church's social media, so that wouldn't be a very good thing. Um, and I actually think social media is incredibly powerful. It's connected us in a way that we've never been before. And I think that was especially true during the pandemic when face-to-face -face contact was so limited. But the issue of like comparing ourselves to other people isn't just limited to social media. We do it in our lives. 
we look around at other people and we see what they've got and who, what they're like. And we just compare ourselves and our lives to them. And even in church, we can do it. We can look at other people and have a bit of a like, yeah, but that's for them mentality. Like, yeah, God loves us, but maybe them a bit more. Or yeah, God can heal, but he's not going to do it for me. Or yeah, God blesses, of course he does, but he's going to bless some people more than me. Or like, yeah, God has a plan for us, but his plan for them's much more special. His plan for me is all right, but nothing that special. We somehow feel that we're not worthy or good enough, but that other people are. We can also compare our spiritual gifts. We get intimidated. We see some people who are incredible at praying, and we see that and think, oh, well, I can't pray like that. Or people speaking confidently in tongues. And then we think, oh, I could probably say a couple of words, but nothing like that. And we then just doubt ourselves. We feel that we can't do it. And people speak to strangers on the street. And then we think, oh, well, our evangelism's not as good because I can't do that. In fact, there's so many things that we could compare ourselves about. Our physical appearance, personality, interests, spiritual gifts, skills, talents, life experiences, money. Theodore Roosevelt said in a famous quote that comparison is the thief of joy, which is incredibly true. And research has actually shown there's a link between comparisons and depression, low self-esteem, frustration, resentment, envy, and a lower emotional well-being. It holds us back in life. We may not go for a new promotion or a new job because we feel that we're not able to do it, that we don't have the skills that someone else has, or just simply that someone else deserves it more. And these things can also hold us back from our Christian walk. We might not pray out loud because we're not as good at praying at someone else. Or we may feel that we have a word from God, but we don't share it because someone else has got a better word from God or they're just more spiritually connected. So we hold ourselves back. And this isn't something that's unique to us nowadays, although social media doesn't make it a lot more available. But it's also prevalent in the Bible. So one example is Gideon in Judges 6 which should be coming up. So, judge, so just a little bit of context here, actually. The Israelites are doing evil and are currently under the control of the Midianites. The Israelites are just in despair and have cried out to God for help. So God calls upon a man called Gideon to help save them. Okay, so Judges 6, verses 12 to 15. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did the Lord not bring us up out of Egypt? But but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Notice how Gideon didn't just say, I'm weak, or I'm not strong enough. He said, my family is the weakest, and I'm the weakest of them. So weakest means he's comparing himself. If we were just looking inwardly, you might say, I'm weak, I'm not strong enough, I can't do it. He's saying, I'm the weakest. So he's saying that, He's the weakest out of the bunch of people that could have been chosen. He's ruling himself out of the plan that God's got for him. 
He's basically suggesting, oh no, someone else is stronger, they can do it, I'm the weakest. But actually, Gideon did later on do what God asked him to do, and God used him in a powerful way. Now let me tell you one thing that I know for sure. God does not want us comparing ourselves to other people. That is not the plan that he had for us. God created us in his image, in Genesis 1 verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. We are his handiwork, Ephesians 2 verse 10. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He made us wonderful, Psalm 139 verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. And God created us with unique gifts, Romans 12 verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Like Darrell and so many of the others have preached when we're talking about communion, we are all made different. We were never made to be the same. We have unique gifts and talents, and we are meant to use those in different ways. This has actually been a bit of a journey that I've been on recently, and I actually talked to the children in the family worship talk a couple of weeks ago about how we're all made different. We all have different skills and interests and likes. And as I said then, it would be no good in church if we had, like, everyone in church could play the guitar, but no one could do the PA. Or if everyone could do the PA and no one could play an instrument or sing. Church just wouldn't function. We need these different gifts and skills. And in fact, in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 to 11, it says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. God made each and every one of us unique, with different appearances, skills, talents, interests, and gifts. So why on earth would he want us to feel bad about ourselves by looking at other people? The truth is that he doesn't want that. That's not his plan. And I don't want to just stand here saying and dwelling on comparisons and the impact that they have on our lives. Because I feel that this is something that we all struggle with at some point. Instead, I want to focus more on what to do about it. It would just be useless if I stood up here and just said, oh, well, just stop doing it. Because <laughs> if only it was that easy. <laughs> I just stopped doing it a long time ago. But actually, it's an unconscious process. We don't do it on purpose. But there are some things that we can do that when this happens, when we notice that we start to compare ourselves. So firstly, we need to notice the comparison. We can't do anything about a problem if we don't know the problem exists. So if you're comparing yourself to someone else, you're not going to be able to do anything about it if you don't realize you're comparing yourself. If you're on a boat and there was a leak, you wouldn't be able to stop the boat from sinking until you found the leak. You need to notice the leak to fix it. 
And it's the same thing with comparisons. You need to notice that you're making a comparison to be able to actually do something about it and to challenge it. If you don't realize what you're doing, then you can start to drown in that negativity. Secondly, pray. If we ever ask the youth or even the sparks lot what they should do in any situation, they will very quickly say pray, even if they weren't listening to the question. <laughs> it happens more than you think. <laughs> but we teach children and the youth that because it's the truth. Our first port of call should always be to pray, to bring it to God, the one who created us. I know that I'm so guilty of doing everything in my power first before actually praying. And then when I do pray, it's usually to help for God's help to fix the bigger mess that I've made, which probably would have been avoided if I prayed in the first place. <laughs> but that's the thing. Prayer changes things. And I'm sure that we've all got at least one story of where prayer has changed something, whether it's the situation itself or our mindset or our attitude towards something. We can pray for God to help remind us who we are. Our identity is so lovely brought by Beth this morning in the family worship. And also just to give us peace and comfort and to help us to be content with who we are. Our God is a God of relationship. He wants us to tell him our troubles. And this is no different. This isn't a different situation that he doesn't want to hear about. He wants to hear your concerns and your worries. Thirdly, develop a gratitude attitude. <laughs> I think something we all need to work on is being grateful, for just being grateful for what we have and who we are, and especially thanking God for what he has given us and what he has done for us. We can so often be sucked into this negative mindset. We feel rubbish about ourselves. Life sucks. Others have what we want. Everything is awful. And we just get sucked into it. But by doing that, we then forget all the good things that happen in our lives. The blessings, the positive times, and just what God has done for us. Because God died for us, and sometimes we so often skip that into, oh, well, God didn't give me a new house, or God didn't give me a new car. And you know what? My mum actually called me out for this this week, and she told me recently that I've only really been talking about all the negative stuff and the stuff that's been stressing me out. And so we actually came to an agreement as a family that any time we start to get sucked into that negative spiral, that we'll then start to challenge each other and say, well, what went well? What good thing happened this week? What good thing happened today? And research has also shown that just writing in a journal or notebook for just five minutes a day about what you are thank thankful for increases your happiness and psychological well-being. It also improves your self-esteem and your low mood. So if we were just to write down a few things that God has done for us, or just make that conscious effort to remember what God has done, then we can improve our well-being and counteract the impact of the comparisons. But it's so often we just get sucked into what we don't have and what we're not, that we then forget what we do have and who we are. We need to learn to thank God who created us. And the more we do this, it becomes an attitude and a mindset. Now, research, it isn't just research that demonstrates this, but the Bible also repeatedly tells us to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I don't know if I can explain it simpler than that. It literally says, give thanks <laughs> in all circumstances, 
because that's God's will for you. God wants us to be thankful. He wants us to have this attitude of gratitude. Okay, so next. So fourthly, remember who you are. Your identity is in Christ, not in earthly things. It's not in other people. It's not in what other people say, what other people think. Just like Charlie shared. Like, it's not about what other people think about us. Sometimes we get so caught up in these comparisons that we forget who we are. And right now, even if you know who you are, it's always good to be reminded. So the youth are actually going to, some of them are going to come up and read Bible verses. And actually just take a moment to remind us who we are in Christ. Just read it and pass it on. Um, You are beloved. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. Um, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which help God prepared in advance for us to do. And Romans 18 verse 17, 8 verse 17, sorry. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. You are, you are chosen and appointed to bear fruit. John 15:16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You are a member of Christ's body. 1 Corinthians 12.27 Now you are a part of the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You are Christ's friend. John 15 verse 15 I I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You are God's child. John 1 verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You are wonderfully made. Psalm 139, verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You are a child of God. 1 John 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. You are complete in Christ, Colossians 2 verse 10. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. You are... Do you want me to hold the other one? <laughs> you, are ad- you are adopted as God's child, Ephesians 1 verse 3 to 6. How blessed is God, and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and he takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be be made whole whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. 
brilliant. Thank you, guys. Brilliant. So now we've remembered who, are, who we are in Christ. And sometimes doing something practical can help. Can some, sometimes doing something practical can help us to remember who we are. We've done activities in youth before where we've had to fill in like a coat of arms or an outline of a human person, like the one that should be appearing. Yeah, so this is an example, really. So what we've done before in youth is to get them to fill in the, this outline of a person with the things that they like about themselves, the things that they value, what's important to them, and then also what God says you are, who God says you are. And sometimes we need to do things like this to actively remember who we are, not who we wish we were or what we wish we had, but who we are. Our identity is in Christ, not in earthly things. Then that brings us on to my next point of declaring the truth. So we've remembered who we are. We now need to declare who we are. Words have power. They can hurt people and they can build people up. But it's not just in power in what you say to other people, but what you say to yourself, our self-talk. The definition of to declare is to make known or state clearly, especially in explicit or formal terms, to announce officially, proclaim, and to state emphatically. So when I say declare the truth, what I'm saying is we need to make known, state clearly, announce, proclaim, state emphatically, who we are in Christ. The voice inside our head says that we're not good enough, that we aren't enough. We need to declare that God says we are enough. Declare who you are and who, who, declare who you are in Christ, that you are significant, you are loved, you are a child of God, and so on. So we need to fight back against these inner thoughts inside our head that we are not enough because others are better than us. Just don't allow these thoughts to passively control you. Because the more that you listen to it, the more power you give it, and the more that it becomes your truth. But it's not the truth. God's word is the truth. You may not even believe it yet, but the more that you declare who you are, the more power that you then give it. In worship, we're basically declaring who God is. We're singing about who God is and what he's done for us. And sometimes when I don't feel like declaring the truth or when I'm struggling to believe it, I find that worship and singing it is so much easier to do and helps me transition then into declaring who I am and who God says I am. Sometimes when I drive to work or when I drive to uni, I just put worship music on and just sing really loudly. And I even have different playlists for when I'm feeling different emotions or going through different seasons of my life. So I have playlists for like when I'm anxious or when I'm stressed. And through those times of worship, I'm just singing and declaring who God is and who I am. And honestly, though, in my experience, when I don't feel like it or I don't want to declare the truth, it's when I need to do it the most. That's when it's needed. And I've never once regretted it. And actually, some of those times of worship and just time with God have been the most powerful experiences that I've had. And that's when I felt the closest to God. Okay, on to my last point then. So take a step of faith into the plan that God has for your life. It's like I've said before, comparisons and comparing ourselves to each other holds us back. It holds us back in life. And then we might think that God has a path for us, but it's not as good as someone else. Or that we don't deserve it, that it's not good enough. 
And it's like sometimes we get this attitude of like, yeah, sure, God has a plan for us, but it's not going to be as good as other people's. And you might not feel like you deserve the plan that God has for you. God might be doing great things for you, but you feel like you don't deserve it, that someone else deserves that more than you do. Maybe God's calling you right now to serve in an area that you haven't served in before. Or is there someone that God is wanting you to talk to? Or is God calling you to speak or say something to someone or evangelize to someone or serve in a new way or a new job or something new? Isaiah 43 verse 19 says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God may be doing a new thing in your life and you're being held back by the comparisons that you're making and your feelings that you're not good enough, that you don't have the right gifts or talents or resources. But Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God has a plan for you, and he's not just calling you into new things for the sake of it. You need to take that step into the plan that God has which, believe me, is always better than the plans that we make for ourselves. So just going to summarize, really, before then I hand over to Beth, who's going to pray. It's not easy. It's really not. When you make, it's so easy to slip into that comparisons with other people, to slip into that negative mindset of you're not good enough, or other people are better, or I don't have the right gifts, or I don't have the right talents, or I don't have the right resources. But actually... God says you're all right. God says you're enough. God says you've got what you need. And if you don't have what you need to, to walk with God or to go into that plan that he's got for you, he'll give it to you. You've just got to wait on him and trust him. Taking that step isn't easy, but it's so worth it. So worth it. And it's not going to be something that changes overnight. It takes work, but God loves you no matter what in every step you take. There's no qualification or sub-clauses or any conditions attached to his love. He loves you for who you are. Not for who you want to be or who you wish you were, but for who you are right now.